welcome to Inspiration from the Couch. I'm Avery. I'm Jamie. And I'm Lucy. We are psychologists and moms. Join us as we discuss what we've figured out, what we've yet to figure out, and what there's just no figuring out. It's sure to be fun, and you may be inspired along the way. Welcome, listeners. Thanks for joining us. We're always so glad to have you here. We wanted to let you know before we get started today that we are on social media. Um, You can find us on Facebook and on Instagram under Inspiration for the Couch. I don't even know if you call it under. Um, we're really trying to be relevant and current in this century. And so we are, we are dipping it's our toe into yeah. those waters, but it's hard for us and we don't quite know the right words. So, um, so an inspiration from the couch Facebook group, like there's a group that you can search for. It's a public group. And so you can just join the group and it's inspiration from the couch. And you can also follow us on Instagram. There's a little less back and forth on Instagram than there is in the Facebook group, but. But same Join thing, right? Inspiration from the couch. Inspiration just, from the couch. You can search for it. And there we are. Awesome. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Okay. All right. So today's episode, we are going to revisit perfectionism. We did that in a previous podcast, and I honestly can't remember which one it was. So we'll... <laughs> Recently. <laughs> Somewhere in the early 20s. Like it was around? in the 20s. I think 23. I think 23. I think too. 23. Yeah, so it just wasn't perfect enough the first time. So we're doing a we're doing a second one. I love it. We're doing a second one. Um, so just to give a very That's not true, by the way, that yeah, was sarcasm. Yeah, yeah. We just had more to talk about. It felt incomplete. Yes, yes, yes. There's there's lots to talk about when it comes to perfectionism. So during our first episode on perfectionism, we talked about perfectionism stemming from not being enough or not being worthy. And I think one of the greatest challenges for all of us seems to be believing that we are worthy enough right now, like here in the present moment. And there are no prerequisites for that. But what I hear either from my own self-talk or from my clients a lot of times is that there are these conditional statements We've either inherited those stories or we've created them ourselves. These conditional statements, I will be worthy when. I will be enough when. It may not be that directly stated, but usually it's some kind of flavor of that. So what are the things that you all, Avery and Lucy, what are things you've heard or said to yourselves or from your clients that you'd be willing to to share those sorts of conditional statements. And I do think what you just mentioned is a really important note to say first is that often it's not that clear, mm-hmm. right? These tend to be more of those automatic unconscious thoughts that really like drive us and are underneath, but that don't always come out. So it takes a little bit of, of mindfulness and kind of paying attention to kind of catch on to this sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Probably two different categories. I think that a lot of perfectionism comes from some, a lot of those thoughts come from like stages of life. So with a lot of my patients, I'll hear, well, I will be happy when I fill in the blank, get in a relationship, graduate from high school, graduate from college, get into grad school, kind of this like next lose weight. You got I'm in a romantic relationship Goal oriented, right? Like yeah. I, I'm going to hold on to, I can't quite be happy yet. I can't kind of relax until I meet this next goal. External, like something totally external, external needs mm-hmm. to change or happen. Mm-hmm. Right. I hear that a lot. And I, I will say that I have done that a lot for myself of like, I'll be happy when we move into a new house. I'll feel comfortable once, you know, Wesley starts first grade. I'll feel comfortable once I, you know, get on an exercise or whatever. Like I, I kind of have this like holding on to my, like, I don't, I can't fully experience joy right now because I got to wait until the 
box that gets checked. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that all the time too, like from my clients. Again, like very similar things as far as like these transitional periods or like milestones almost again, like with, with getting married, having children, getting this job, making this certain amount of money, you know, whatever it might be, or if it's appearance, you know, focus, like I'll be worthy when I lose 20 pounds or, you know, even other things too, like I'll be enough when I get XYZ's approval, like approval from my parents or my spouse or, or whoever. So yeah, I mean, it's, there are so many conditional statements, I think, all over the place. And the interesting part is it tends to be a moving target, yes. right? So like you get to that one finish line or marker, let's right. say, and then like something else comes in. And so it's this never ending sort of loop. Yeah. Right. Another way I see it manifest is that you get there and then you're not happy and it adds to so much more disappointment. Like if you've been thinking, oh, I'll be happy once I graduate from fill in the blank and then you graduate it and you're not happy. It's like, oh gosh. Like, what am I striving for now? What am I? Is there something wrong with me? That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. So some shame, maybe disappointment. If we have this expectation, right, of what it's going to be like and what's going to happen, and then it falls short, then we've got to navigate that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So are there other sorts of signs that you see if it's not like readily apparent, some maybe behaviors that individuals engage in that someone might be struggling with perfectionism? I think often there's this rigidity. I don't know if that's the right word, but this kind of insistent sort of like urgency. And it feels really disconnected almost from self. Like Mm -hmm. you can feel it's different when someone wants to do something because they love it and it lights them up and they're wanting to engage and work hard and invest because it fills them up versus something that you just have to do or else something bad is going to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. That tends to be a little more disconnected, a little more, you know, rigid feeling little bit more like soul sucking rather than soul energizing. There definitely seems to be like a lack of satisfaction and almost this, I don't necessarily want to say inability, but difficulty with being able to validate self for doing whatever, for having these achievements, you know, working hard, doing all of these things. A lot of times what I do see is kind of like what what you all have said as far as like this external seeking for approval or for validation or those sorts of things, or a lot of comparison making also too is, is what I hear. You know, when I think about like for some of my clients or even stuff that I've done in the past. And for example, if I have a adolescent client who's, you know, they feel that they failed a test when it's only they got two points off, or maybe I've got somebody that is working really hard at at crafting emails and are spending an extraordinary amount of time on maybe an email that they could fire off maybe in five or 10 minutes, but maybe it's taking them a really long time to do it. I think other things too, like skipping classes or skipping work because you're so worried about like doing a presentation or having to turn in an assignment and it's just not to the level that you think that it should be. I see individuals doing that as well. So I think a lot of it is like when you all are talking about achieving goals, it's a lot of focus on an end product rather than the process itself. So really losing out on that joy and that vitality that comes along with with some of that process. Yeah. Well, Jamie, as I was listening to you speak, I was thinking how important it is to ask questions because people, mm-hmm. once again, are not going to often verbalize this to begin with. So it's like someone comes in, they're like, I failed my test. I have to say, like, well, what do you mean by fail? Like, what was what was that? And they're like, I got a 94, right? Or an 82, or, you know, whatever the number may be. And so this definition of failure can be very varied. It's not often literally an F, 
not right. often literally right. below a 60. You've got that like very narrow definition of success, uh-huh. right? And oftentimes that's where I really love, I won't say I love when that happens for people because it's miserable, but I think that's where growth can really happen when it really does interfere. When they're able to say, I know that it would be more beneficial to me to go to work, but I couldn't go to work because of this perfectionistic tendency. And I think that awareness of, wow, this has interfered with my life really gives people some motivation to grow. Because I think the story you can kind of tell yourself about perfectionism is that it's helpful. And, And I think in some ways that striving can be helpful. I love when it gets to that point where it's like, this is no, like it's It's not serving you. It's not serving you. And those moments where it kind of hits you in the face of like, this really is interfering versus like moving you along in the right direction. Yeah. And sometimes it takes a while for people to get there, right? Because it can be really insidious because it is sort of this reinforcing kind of experience that people have. You know, if I go out there and I do this perfectionistic thing and I get kudos for it, you know, then it feels like, oh, well, I have to do that again and again and again. And so, yes, it could be really hard to get yourself out of that loop. Mm-hmm. And it all, and I think it becomes an identity, right? Yeah. I mean, I think especially a lot of us work with adolescents when they are really forming that identity. And there is this like, well, who am I if I'm not making a hundred on every test? If I let myself think that a 94 isn't a failure, like what does that mean about who I am? Kind of in a deeper sense. Well, and that's really at the root of it, right? Which Jamie, I love how you define perfectionism as really being about this sense of not good enoughness because it's that question, like if I get a 94 or an 82 or a 73, like whatever it may be, like, am I enough and will I belong? Like mm-hmm. fundamentally, mm-hmm. we get to those root aspects and dimensions. And this is why I tell so many adolescents that I work with that I'm so glad that they have had an experience with failure because that that is something we're going to need to be able to wrap our arms around and manage because I think a lot of very high achieving people can really go through a lot of their life without like really facing something that's very difficult for them or that they cannot be perfect at. And that can be very unsettling. Yeah. Even from like an identity perspective. Totally. I, I went to get coffee with my college roommate. So a good friend of mine who lives in New Orleans and she came in town and I was kind of sharing with her about our podcast and some of the growth that, that's been going on in my life. And I was saying, naming this thing that, gosh, I have this huge sense of like not good enoughness. And really, if you'd asked me a few years ago, I, I think I would have said like, no, I feel totally worthwhile and like adequate and like I'm enough. And she looked at me and she's like, yeah, you've always had that. Like, yeah, you do. It was like obvious to her where it had been like such a surprise to me that it was there and it had been so obvious to her. But I do think every, what you're talking about, it's my life has gone pretty well. Right. And I have worked hard. And so I haven't had a lot of failure when I was younger. And so that muscle of being able to say like, how do I separate out my worth from having been successful and achieving? And it becomes so wrapped up in that, that you just don't have the opportunity to have to grapple with that. Mm -hmm. And like, I think how much easier my adulthood might have been if I had had those experiences when I was younger that had forced me to kind of have a more, I guess, grounded and solid sense of self that had more to do with like who I am rather than what I may do. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't even aware that that was all happening. Yeah. Yeah. So we're getting into like different domains of perfectionism. So we've mentioned a little bit, you know, working with adolescents and how a lot of times that comes up in academics. What about other things like perfectionism that you've noticed maybe in the workplace with your clients or for yourselves? I can say for me, I 
get a lot of anxiety, like when I have to do presentations in front of colleagues. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of, I feel like over preparedness because I am concerned that I'm, you know, not enough or not as up to par with colleagues and it causes me a lot of anxiety. And so I notice that I can get really perfectionistic when it comes to those sorts of things. Or if I see mental health providers in my practice, Nothing will give me more GI distress than having like <laughs> fellow psychologists on like coming to see me for therapy. And it, it makes me honestly, it can make me very nervous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How about for you all? 100%. I yeah. think mental health professionals or mental health professional parent. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I'm, yeah. I put myself, I'm like, I've got to be perfect. I mean, of course, the clencher of that and what we're going to be talking about more is that probably makes it more likely that I'm going to be like not as performing, like performing as well, because I can't be like authentic and real in the moment right. if I'm getting all in my head about having to be perfect. And I do find, especially with presentations and, and the worst are the people that, you know, I would rather do a presentation to a group of strangers any day versus people that I know or, you know, that I have like that kind of like social capital with because mm -hmm. it is. What it, do you think makes that more anxiety producing? Just my expectation that I have to be even more perfect, that they kind of know me and that they, I feel like I'm going to have to see them again and kind of prove to them that I'm, you know, I'm really good at this, whatever this is, speaking, working, that it's a, a proving kind of situation. Yeah, I think yeah. there is like a big fear of of judgment, like, oh, Lord, where does she go to school? Like, what? <laughs> I mean, quite honestly, like, I'm you know, patience. what is wrong right, with me? right. Yeah, or I mean, I, I think she was good at that. Right, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think there's that fear, right? So like a vulnerability, piece. Mm -hmm. like yeah. if it's someone you know, and care about in some way, or whose past you might cross that it feels more like vulnerable. Right? Yeah. Some workplace stuff, some academic stuff. How about in intimate relationships or, or friendships, where do you see perfectionism showing up? I think I see that less now in my 40s. Yeah. But I think in my 20s, especially, I think that was like a season when you know everybody was getting married. And so we all kind of wanted to have like the perfect shower. In fact, several of my friends, we would refer to ourselves as like crazy shower lady, oh. because like we would need the shower <laughs> to be perfect or the baby shower to be like that there was this kind of perfectionism kind of it was a little competitive and it was a little like, I'm showing you how much I love you by this perfect shower, which of course one does not mean the other, but there was that kind of comparative pressure of like performance that I need this to be perfect. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's what it is. I'm thinking to some of the teenagers I've worked with over the years. And I think I've seen this the most in that age group when they feel like they need to sleep by their phone, have it on all night in case a friend is struggling and they need to be there like available 24 seven, like they're mm -hmm. a crisis hotline almost. But the sense of I can't let them down a little bit of like, I have to keep them safe, but this really kind of sticky, icky, hard role to be in. Mm -hmm. But I, I once again, this idea, I can't fail them. I have to always be present and on all the time. Mm -hmm. How about in intimate relationships or friendships where people are demonstrating, we talked last time about this facet of other oriented perfectionism, where you are expecting perfectionism from, say, partners or friends. And I will say that I've worked with a lot of couples throughout the years where the couples can get really caught up in expectations and having to have things done an absolutely certain way, like loading the dishwasher or doing laundry a certain Damn way it, or Jamie, whatever. I was going to skirt right by that. My expectations for other people... 
Uh, yeah. yeah. Or for your kids or for mm, whoever. Yeah. Mm, what mm. kinds of stuff have do you hear or have you <laughs> stated about? Maybe, maybe yeah. like in the third week, person maybe uh-huh. that I've said and, like <laughs> that have flown out of my mouth. And, uh-huh. Yeah. I'm a person I have very high expectations of myself and others and dealing with expectations of myself and others like lifelong work for me. But I do, I think, especially during times of stress, I have extremely high expectations for myself and that gets kind of relayed and put upon the people in my family. I mean, Mm -hmm. in my household, my husband and my daughter, especially during pressure times, which like the last few weeks have been that I'm like firing at all pistons, which basically means that I have like not a second in my mind to spare because I have all these things and like everything's like I literally scheduled something down, something yesterday that was going to take five minutes. Like I had it like that rigid my schedule and it's like people and I start to get this feeling of kind of like you're fucking up the program it's not pleasant I'm sure to be around and it's certainly not pleasant to live in my body but it's definitely that perfectionism of like I'm gonna do this and then this and then this and that means everybody else needs to be on my same time frame and when they're not it's it's not pretty it's not good Yeah. yeah for me like the perfectionism that I have for like say for example Robert butts up against other areas that can be where perfectionism is shown. So like, for example, with our environment, like our home, you know, like the surroundings and especially when we're throwing social events that I like for things to be just a certain way (laughs) and that will come out on him or on the kids. Yes. Like that. I, I need it to look a certain way, be cleaned a certain way, that sort of thing. Or even sometimes too, I'm a little bit easier with this than before, but like, for example, like, hygiene related tasks or like appearance, like if we're going to have, you know, photographs taken or we're going to go to an event like where there's formal dress or something like where there's sort of this societal norm or expectation and I can go overboard with that. I'm, I used to be pretty bad with that, but I'm a little bit easier. I think does your family notice? Like, what do they say? They, <laughs> so <laughs> when we, <laughs> so, <laughs> On the Disney Cruise Line, we have been on many Disney cruises. They have formal night, semi-formal night. Formal night was like the bane of my existence on every single Disney cruise up until probably the last couple of years. And granted, we've had the pandemic, so we haven't been on a Disney cruise and they haven't had to deal with me. But I used to put in great amount of effort to like have everybody's stuff match. And what are we going to look like this time? Like coordinating colors and, you know, Robert and Max, are you going to wear a tuxedo or are we going to do something cute with like bow tie and suspenders and Converse or what are we going to do? It would be meltdown city like usually with max meltdown city as we're standing in line for the photography and i'm just like just hold it together just keep it together let's just get this picture and then you can just rip it all off but yeah it it was it's a lot for them (laughs) i'm thinking especially when wesley was younger we would fall into a lot of that like the family pictures and just almost this like and i think as she's gotten older i'm become more aware that like she actually is not an extension of me exactly but when she was little i 100 percent felt that way like if she wasn't dressed cute and we get set up for that too i think like oh her dad dressed her like i think as moms especially we get that like message pretty loud and clear that your kid needs to look pretty cute and put together or you know i mean i think that that's reinforced a lot but there is that like okay she needs to look a certain way and then we've got this family picture and is pink going to be our color i mean i feel that and that you're putting that perfectionism on yourself. Like, I want the photo to be beautiful. Right. And there's that external of like, well, I want other people to 
see that I have, like, it was, a, it, it was really an extension of like, do I have my shit together or not? And this is one way I can show everybody I've got my shit together. Right. How about for you, Lucy? Does it come out? <laughs> Never. Never. I, I cannot relate to a word of what y'all are saying. <laughs> no, I was laughing. I was thinking about like, when we do have people over and I'm like cleaning and trying to get ready, my kids, they'll be like, there she goes crazy mom again. Oh. Like she's getting all stirred up, right? Like, so they, they notice it. Mm-hmm. And they don't care, interestingly. I think they'd be happy for anyone to come over with the house in any mm-hmm. condition. They're like, why does it matter? Why yeah. does my room have to be clean? Yeah, my kids, they don't care too much. And I've eased way up on what they wear, obviously. I mean, they're 12 and 13. They dress themselves, whatever. You know, if you want to go out in the house and that, congratulations. Go go right for it. I may not wear it, but, you know, right. whatever works. And that's hard as a parent, that shift. I mean, I think two things as we've been talking. One, I think I probably end up sneakily like putting my perfectionism onto them in <laughs> ways that are really not helpful. Yeah. And I, I don't mean to, like I try to be conscious and aware, but I think it probably like leaks out and all kinds of ways. And so that constant process of being aware of that and like trying not to do it, but I'm, I'm not so great at that. But then the second thing about how do you let them be themselves right. and really support them, especially sometimes there's if there's a part inside of you that's like, fuck, yes. right? Like, <laughs> I'm not so on board with what they're wearing or what they're choosing to do or not. And when do I, like, keep my mouth shut? Mm-hmm. And then when do I, I don't yeah, know, not? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I try to when I'm having a reaction maybe to something that Grace has pulled out of the closet, you know, internally, I'm like, oh, it's not Halloween yet, you know, like <laughs> some of the stuff that she likes to mm-hmm. wear. And I just try to think back to like, what was I wearing at that age? And for me to connect to like a younger version of me and see that I, I think like that I worry like, oh my gosh, she's going to pull this like cosplay costume out and then I can project into the future, you know, of like, oh my goodness, she's going to look like this now. What if this continues on in the future? Like, how is this going to affect her, you know, like going to school and career wise and all of this kind of stuff when I can think back to when I was younger and I'm like, I don't wear those clothes anymore. Like I thought it was cool then, but you know, I've outgrown it. I've matured. And so for me to, to think back to that, it allows me to take a step back and just kind of, take myself off off the hook. And that's where it gets so dicey, I think, especially with I'm thinking about clothing, that that there are still some rules, right? There is still like a, an appropriate versus inappropriate clothing. We all have daughters around the same age. And so I think, I mean, goodness, especially right now and with 12 and 13 year olds, I mean, we've got two choices, I feel like, like either they dress like they're five or six or they dress like they're like going to the club. Like, yes. like and yes. you, you have to be kind of guiding like that. Like we're not, we're not trying to look 20, like even though, I mean, our girls could, could probably do that. Yeah. I mean, with the, with the available clothing that they could wear. And so I think there's that guideline and that helps me to really settle is to say, okay, the guideline is I need things to be like a certain length or a certain like whatever. But that kind of helps me to relax. I'm not saying all bets are off. She can wear anything that she ever wants. And I cannot over control this. And kind of finding that for myself of like, okay, I'm not going to let her walk out and, you know, this go into the club outfit. Right. And as much as I would love for her to dress like she was five or six, that's not appropriate either. And so I, in my mind, can kind of say like, these are the guidelines. I got to step back. But that helps me to kind of relax. Yeah. And it's on an unrelated side note. Anyone out there who would like to open up a children, uh, oh a teen, gosh. like an or young tween. teen, tween and teen. sort of clothing boutique. <laughs> I know. Where it's can, much needed. Oh yeah. my gosh. Not athleisure. Yeah. Once again, not five, not clubbing clothes, but like I think like, I think that there's a span of other options there that are right. missing. Comfy, right. appropriate clothing. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. 
Missed market. Totally. (laughs) Totally. I agree. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so we're kind of hitting on some of the parenting stuff that we struggle with from time to time. And also too, like that physical appearance piece. It sounds like more for our kids. I mean, I know that I've had that with myself as well, like Mm. worrying about physical appearance and what to wear, what style, my hair, you know, just you name it, whatever. So lots of different domains of of perfectionism that there are out there that can affect people in a whole lot of different ways. So what about strategies then for challenging perfectionism? What are some things that, you know, I think one of the things that I like to think about is that it's really hard to be an authentic individual and be perfectionistic at the same time. They're almost kind of mutually exclusive. And I think authenticity is something that I'd really like to talk about maybe in a future mm, podcast. We could do that in the future. But I think really it's the antidote. One of the antidotes to perfectionism is, is being authentic. So what are some things that you would recommend or have recommended to clients? So I think one thing I'll say to clients, and it certainly has been helpful to me, is that when I really think about the times that I have felt genuinely connected to another person, it's when we've talked about things that are not perfect. That connection only exists when we're not trying to be perfect, when we can be our real, authentic, vulnerable self, which usually is admitting some fault. That we tend not to like perfect people very much. Like right. we imagine we need to be perfect to get everyone to like us. But when we think about the people who we perceive as perfect, like they tend not to be likable because there's that disconnection that comes from the inauthenticity. Right. Because you can either be perfect or authentic. I mean, you can't or look perfect, you know, put a perfect view out in the world or authentic. You can't right. have both. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's one kind of way that I've been able to kind of for myself, let myself off the hook with perfectionism. And I think for, for clients to talk about that, you know, what expectation, a lot of times we do have those perfectionistic ex- expectations for everyone, but oftentimes we we don't actually expect other people to be as perfect as we expect ourselves to be. And so that's kind of a nice little off-ramp too is, okay, would you still be friends with Lucy if she were being imperfect in this perceived way. And usually people are like, oh, of course I would. It's like, okay, so what we could accept Lucy if she's going to be imperfect in this way. So why couldn't we accept Avery if she's going to be imperfect in the same way? Exactly. Yeah. Comes to mind for me, a little more pragmatic. So these can probably come as my do try this at home sorts of things Mm -hmm. too. But one is this idea of the law of diminishing returns. So I think this is really applicable, especially for students, right? So you could study an hour, two hours for a test and get a certain grade. Like if you put an additional like five hours of studying or an additional 30 minutes of work on that email, the two line email, right? Like what is that really giving you? And how is it, is it really adding in enough to kind of make it worth it? I think that's one. And then I think the other idea that comes to mind is how do we let ourselves experiment? Because I think the fear is that if I dial back and I don't like, I'm, I'm imagining like gripping really tightly because I think perfectionism often comes with a lot of constriction and like tightness in the body. But if I'm not gripping so tightly, if I'm not working so hard, if I let myself off the hook at all, like really bad stuff is going to happen, right? I'll fall apart. And so I think part of it is, can we take our foot off that pedal, ease back a little bit and just do catastrophic things really happen? Like how do we experiment and just see how it goes? Because sometimes people actually feel much better when they show up a little differently mm-hmm. and there's not a huge shift in performance quite right. often. Right. Not really one at all for a lot of people. Yeah, I think some of the things that I think about like for myself and have recommended for my clients is, you know, we had a recent podcast, don't be an asshole, which was referring to how we talk to ourselves. And so 
we need to be aware of our self-talk and our perfectionistic tendencies. And a lot of times you can identify that when you start saying things like you should do X, Y, Z, or you must do X, Y, Z, you know, or are you putting yourself down more often than raising yourself up? So I think for a lot of people, it's like we've said kind of early on in this podcast, sometimes it's not so apparent and and you might be able to catch some of those perfectionistic ways of being by just listening in to your self-talk. And I think something else too that is important is reminding yourself that you are more than your accomplishments, right? And your possessions. <laughs> You're more than that. And so asking a question like, how do I want people to remember me? I think is important. And I know, Lucy, you asked some questions I think maybe to one of your adolescent clients or something in the past podcast, you know, are you going to remember them because they're thin or because they made an A, you know, on their science paper or something like that? Like, how do you want people to remember you? Any other things to do to challenge perfectionism? I think my do try this at home would be just kind of that mindfulness. I think as I kind of pay attention to that, I can almost feel it in my body. It feels kind of like grindy pressure when I'm trying to be perfect. And to just kind of have that awareness of, oh, this is what it feels like. And to give yourself another option, right? That, okay, I'm, I'm doing that thing where I'm trying to be perfect and, and kind of trying to get, get a bigger picture. Like if I'm trying to be perfect because I want the kids to match because I want to be a good mom, like, are there other ways I could really feel authentically like I'm being a good mom? Because oftentimes they're kind of diametrically opposed, getting super grindy and, and perfectionistic around what top your daughter wears may actually affect the relationship in a negative way. And kind of just looking for those other bigger picture upstream, seeing the forest for the trees options. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Last final nugget or pearl for individuals is perfectionists. I think it's really important for individuals to prioritize. I mean, I think that just goes across the board, you know, and perfectionists have a tendency to try to do everything well, right? Emphasize everything. And so while being on top of everything may look good on paper, in reality, it means that your energy is really, really stretched. And so if you're putting the same amount of work into every single thing that you're doing, it really doesn't pay off. Like you were saying, Lucy, you know, kind of a cost benefit analysis, what's it costing me? Instead, it's going to lead to burnout and really it's going to hold you back. So I think like asking yourselves questions like what's truly important to me? Where should I put most of my energy and focus and time and then start there and everything else will fall into place. So that leads actually perfectly into what we're going to talk about in our next podcast, which is being a yes. And that's really that intentionally deciding whether you are a yes and whether you are, you know, for something. We're going to talk a lot about that prioritization of what you are for and what you choose to be intentional about. So join us for our next podcast on being a yes. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us. And we will see you soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Subscribe to Inspiration from the Couch wherever you access your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. Visit us on our website at inspirationfromthecouch.com. Oh,